Did you know that every major diaper company either financially or vocally supports abortion? If that appalls you and you're looking to support a baby brand that aligns with your pro-life, pro-family views, then every life is your solution. Every life firmly believes that regardless of where someone is from, what they look like, or whether they were planned or unplanned, every baby is a miracle from God worthy of love, protection, and celebration. Every Life offers high-performing, supremely soft, premium diapers and wipes delivered right to your doorstep. Their diapers are crafted without fragrances, dyes, lotions, latex, parabens, or phthalates. And you can feel good knowing that every purchase with Every Life contributes to changing lives through their support of pro-life organizations and pregnancy resource centers. Every Life is not just changing diapers, they're changing lives. Visit everylife.com to learn more. That's everylife.com. And don't forget to use promo code Duffy10 for an exclusive 10% discount on your first order today. Hey, everybody. Welcome to From the Kitchen Table. I'm your host, Sean Duffy, along with my co-host for the podcast, my partner in life, and my wife, Rachel Campos-Duffy. Thank you, Sean. It's so great to be back at our kitchen table. And today we are joined by Fox News contributor, senior fellow at the National Review Institute and contributing editor of the National Review. Boy, he's got a lot of titles and former assistant U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, Andrew McCarthy. Andrew, we're so glad to have you. First of all, welcome to the kitchen table. Everyone knows at Fox News that I'm obsessed with Hunter Biden. And no one knows more about Hunter Biden, the corruption, the trials than you. So we're just really honored that you would join us at the kitchen table. Well, thank you so much, both Rachel and Sean. I'm delighted to be here. And I, today, my title should be like neighbor. I think we're neighbors. So, yes, <laughs> exactly. So, 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 do you, do you go ahead? You can no, start, you, start, you go ahead, Sean. So, so, Andy, I want to first. I want to talk about you know this this letter that came out from Senator Chuck Grassley to the FBI in regard to the Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, James Biden investigation. And after that, I want to talk about uh, the Danchenko trial, the Durham, uh, the second trial that Durham has uh, taken to a jury, the second loss for him. But I, I, want, I want to talk first about the Grassley letter. And in essence, um, Chuck Grassley is saying to the FBI, listen, we have reports uh, that have come to us that would tell us that you have voluminous information in regard to criminal activity, not just for Hunter Biden, but also James Biden and, uh, and Joe Biden. I just want to kind of get your take on what's what kind of give us the state of play. What's happening here in regard to the FBI maybe having, you know, very good information about criminal activity of the now sitting president, but not really moving on it. Yeah, well, you know, my biggest complaint, Sean, from the beginning has been I think we make a big mistake calling this the Hunter Biden. Amen. Investigation. Amen. Because it's it's the Biden investigation. Yes. And. You know, he's he's very gingerly referred to it as his tax matter. You know, we've gotten some information about, uh, you know, four years old, four years ago, he made a false statement in connection with a uh, the acquisition of a gun, which he then lost. Uh, And that's uh, that's notable in terms of uh, public interest, only because if one of the three of us if that had happened to one of the three of us, we would have been prosecuted four years ago. Right. Um, but in terms of the national interest, what matters in the Biden investigation 
is this very simple question. Why was it, particularly when Barack Obama was president, that whenever Joe Biden was made the point guy on foreign policy with respect to, uh, you know, what regime uh, you you can name, Russia, Ukraine, uh, China, uh, that people who were connected to those regimes suddenly thought it was expedient uh, to pay his ne'er-do-well son, who had no relevant experience to whatever the task was, millions and millions of dollars. Um, that's the question. Yeah. And, the, you know, my point, uh, and anybody who's had to fill out paperwork to get a national security clearance will identify with this. My question is, could the president of the United States fill out the form SF-86 that every single person who wants to get a security clearance uh, in America has to fill out and then expect to get a security clearance, given the amount of money that was coming in to the Biden family by people who were connected to uh, anti-American regimes. I'm so glad that you said that because that's exactly how I feel. You know, I think we're all so distracted by the porn and the, you know, all the drugs. crazy stories and the drugs and the, you know, all of it. It's so salacious. It's so easy to get, you know, caught up in that part. But this really is about Joe Biden. It kind of reminds me, Andrew, of how, you know, the Clintons managed to get the 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 Clinton scandal called the Lewinsky scandal. It really was about Bill Clinton and somehow it ended up being the Lewinsky scandal. This is the Joe Biden scandal and it's so um, dangerous. It's a national it's a potential national security issue. I, I believe he's compromised. I believe he's the big guy that's talked about there. I want to play what Tony Bobolinsky, who was a business associate of Hunter Biden, said about the fact that he had all this information. He told the FBI, they said they were going to follow up. And, and then here's what happened. Listen. They were supposed to be working a follow-up interview. And Tim Tebow, in his last discussion with my legal counsel, was, listen, we know Tony's cooperating. We appreciate all the information he's provided. Uh, we will follow up with you. We're definitely going to have him come in uh, for a follow-up interview or spend some more time on this. And um, I haven't heard from him since. At all? No. <laughs> Nor have my lawyers. No communication whatsoever? No. Since before the 2020 election? Correct. So that's Tony Bobolinsky speaking to uh, Tucker Carlson, saying no one followed up. So between what Sean said, this Grassley letter that says, hey, we've got voluminous evidence. We've got whistleblowers in the FBI saying they ha they know that this is you know connected to Joe Biden. And then the fact that they wouldn't follow up with, with Tony Bobolinsky. I mean, is this now an FBI scandal? I think it's been an FBI scandal for a while. And if you think about it, you know, we got a lot of information on the uh, infamous laptop yeah. that came out in the weeks before the election. But for about a year before then, uh, Chuck Grassley and Ron Johnson in the Senate had been conducting an investigation of foreign money going into the Biden family coffers. And most of that uh, evidence came from suspicious activity reports that were filed by financial institutions with the Treasury Department. It wasn't uh, Russian disinformation. It didn't come off the laptop. Uh, that's what it was. And to have called the Biden stuff Russian disinformation, which the FBI helped them do in the run up to the election under circumstances where this was not simply about 
the laptop and we not only had this other financial information, but you had a corroborating witness in Bobolinsky who said he had had two face to face meetings with Joe Biden himself uh, about the CEFC transaction uh, to have dismissed all that as as Russian disinformation is unbelievable. And if I could just say a word about the CEFC sure. transaction, which is only a slice of this thing, but CEFC, which was a international conglomerate, a huge uh, corporation was run by a guy named Ye Jin Mang, who was a uh, a protege of President Xi. CEFC was nothing but an arm of the Chinese regime and the Communist Party, and they paid six million dollars wow. to the Biden family wow. uh, in a year between 2017 and 2018. Now, one million of that was when Ye paid Biden, Hunter Biden, a million dollars as a lawyer to <laughs> poke around and find out what the government had on a guy named Patrick Ho, who was another CEFC uh, executive. It turned out that the government, the, the Justice Department, was not only investigating Ho for foreign corrupt practices, it turned out that they had FISA surveillance. This is national security counterintelligence surveillance on CEFC Ho and other people. It wouldn't be surprising if they picked up the Bidens on the national security surveillance. But here, here's the important thing. Ho gets arrested and prosecuted by the Justice Department. In the course of that prosecution, the Justice Department has to disclose that Ho and CEFC are under or have been under FISA surveillance. Within a few days of that disclosure in court, Yay, who is Bi who Hunter Biden's uh, the Biden family's main partner in this whole thing, within a few days after the notice that these guys were under national security surveillance, Yay is arrested in China and he has never been seen again. Wow. And ever since then, and they let the CEFC go bully up. It was a multi-billion-dollar uh, conglomerate. They they just let it go bankrupt. Uh, and the Biden family got. Can you imagine if the Trumps got no. six million dollars from an outfit like this? I mean, it'd be the only thing that we talked about. But ever. Why, the fact that you're so I've been following the story. I'm sorry, Sean, I just got to jump really quick. I, we've been following the story a lot. I'm obsessed with it. You know, this six million dollar number should be like melded in all of our minds. I mean, it's sort of like it's just it, Things are just it's unequal justice. It's it's a it's a cover up in so many ways, but yet it's not a cover up because the information's all right there. Let me ask you a question around that, because it's it might be unseemly to make money from this conglomerate in China. It is. Um, but we talk about is it illegal? And so if Hunter Biden makes money, uh, he pays his taxes and he discloses it. Um, there's nothing illegal about Americans doing business with foreign uh, companies isn't or, or, or so I don't think isn't the real problem here that is if Joe Biden is using yeah. his position as the vice president to allow his son selling influence in, in the vice presidency allowing his son to sell it to foreign entities and then Joe Biden gets a kickback off the cash that Joe Biden makes of selling the vice presidency to foreign entities. Is, isn't that the real crime here? Or am I missing something? No, Sean. And, and here you get back to what you asked me about at the beginning, which I, I, I never got around to, which is the Grassley letter. 
the thing about the Grassley letter that we just saw in the last few days that changes the um, what we have known about the trajectory of the story to this point is that what Grassley alleges is that the six million dollars, which was really paid to the Bidens in 2017, um, that it was payment for services rendered while Joe Biden was vice president. Right. Yes. Now, here's the thing. I, I wrote a piece about that because I thought that that's an important fact that changes the story mm-hmm. immensely. The problem is that Grassley hasn't laid out what his facts are for saying that. He says he's gotten whistleblower information from the FBI. And the reason I think it's very important is our understanding up until now is exactly the way Sean just described us a couple of minutes ago, which is that in 2017, the Bidens got together with this uh, Chinese outfit under the auspices of CEFC, that that happened around February of 2017 when Joe Biden was no longer in office and they went from there. And a lot of this is um, is icky and it may not it's probably some of it may not be criminal, although. You know, again, I'll go back to the point about national security clearance. If you wanted to get a security clearance, you would have to tell the government about all of the foreign contacts you had and all the foreign monies that you had coming in. So this would be a big national security problem, even if it weren't a criminal problem. But if they actually did pay for some for stuff that Biden did for them while he was vice president, that would be an enormous change in the story. And all I can say is. It's out there now, but Senator Grassley hasn't told us what the hard evidence of it is. But isn't some of it out there already in the sense that we there were text messages where Hunter Biden talked about paying for his, you know, different th- different projects at his father's home. Um, there was an email that he sent his daughter about how much he money he he paid to his father, had to pay to his father. I mean, this stuff. I mean, Sean's always telling me this, you know, when we, when we cover these Hunter stories like. It's not hard. These are white collar forensic investigations. I mean, and now we have emails and text messages where he talks about it. How hard is it to find out? Did did Hunter's money? I mean, even if it wasn't like a cut 10 percent, here's your 10 percent check, Mr. Big Guy Dad. Even if it's not that, it's like I just paid for, you know, your lawn service or I just paid your mortgage or whatever. I mean, there are references in text messages that Hunter did do that. Yeah, Rachel, I I was you're right about that. And when I what I said before was I wanted to just address a portion of this, which was the CEFC piece. Yeah. So the, the CEFC piece is what we're talking about when I say like suddenly we have the possibility that this predates 2017, which would make it a, a very different situation. I got it. But but to your point, like if we look overall at all of the foreign dealings, it, you know, it def- it not only defies common sense, Biden's been saying forever that, like, he never even talked to Hunter about this. Right. Right. In the meantime, the CEFC may be actually the smaller of the China transactions we need to worry about because there was a whole different one that they locked uh, because Hunter was hitched a ride with Joe on Air Force Two over right. to China and, you know, struck that deal where they ended up actually getting backing of three billion dollars from Chinese government created interest or connected interest and ended up doing transactions that were against American national security. Like 
the the Chinese were able to acquire a cobalt mine in Africa. Cobalt is uh, essential to the mm-hmm. manufacture of car batteries that Biden is trying to get everybody to to yep. you know electric cars that he's trying to get us in. Uh, they also got dual use uh, technology in the in the sense that it can be used for military purposes that uh, fills gaps that, uh, you know, China has enormous gaps because the one place we're still ahead of them is on most technology stuff. This helped them uh, fill some of those gaps. So that happened while Biden was president. A lot of what you're talking about happened while Biden was president. And it looks to me just as like, you know, someone who used to do this for a living, that my theory in this would be like there's this big Biden family kitty. And all of the money goes into that. Uh, and then they, you know, they shuffle it around take as care of each other. needed. Yeah. Right. So, you know, as you just pointed out, Hunter pays a bunch of Joe's and, bills. And, and Joe and Jill had a key to Joe Biden and Jill Biden had a key to Hunter's office that he shared with some like Chinese businessman who had ties to the communist government. I mean, I, I guess it's just so obvious to me. I can't understand any, why this isn't a big deal. Outside of the box. So, and and, and kind of to this point, Andy, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a simple guy. I got to break things down simply to make it work in my mind. But I I had mentioned earlier that you know this uh, Igor Dushenko was prosecuted uh, by by uh, the Durham probe. Uh, The decision just came out. Uh, Igor Dushenko was found not guilty in a Northern Virginia court. Not surprising. Um, and d- just so our listeners know, Igor Dushenko was the source that Michael Steele used to put together his dossier on Donald Trump that started the whole Russia collusion probe. So Dushenko is a key guy here. And what came out in that trial was that the FBI offered Igor Dushenko a million dollars if he could substantiate the allegations that were made in the uh, in the dossier on Donald Trump, a million dollars if they could confirm um, these allegations in the dossier. Okay, that's one set where it's Donald Trump is a potential defendant. We have potential sources that will hurt Donald Trump. Can you prove it? And we'll give you a million dollars. Now you fast forward here and we go, who in the FBI has offered anybody a million dollars to say, can you prove connections between Joe Biden, Hunter Mm. Biden, and all these foreign entities. Tony Bobulinski not only wasn't offered a million dollars, he didn't get a follow-up interview by the FBI. And I think those two cases show that the FBI was hell-bent on trying to take down Donald Trump and prosecute Donald Trump. And with Joe Biden, they're doing everything they can to look the other way, to see a crime nowhere in sight. Yeah, well, I'm going to make it even worse for you Sean, because one of the FBI agents that came out in the trial who interviewed Danchenko uh, and learned that the dossier was completely bogus was a guy by the name of Brian Auten, who was a senior intelligence analyst at the FBI. And he ends up doing a report about what they learned from Danchenko that completely undermined the uh, Steele dossier. And yet, uh, the FBI did not share the Auten memo with either the Justice Department unit that that handles applications for surveillance to the FISA court or to the FISA court itself. 
And I would just point out that, you know, you offer somebody a million dollars to corroborate something. That means it's not verified. And the problem the FBI has is under federal law, they're supposed to verify the information before they go to the FISA court. And here what they did was even after they found out that it was bogus, they kept going. But the reason I mention uh, Auten is that flash forward to 2020, even though he's under a disciplinary investigation by the FBI at that point over what happened in the Russiagate investigation, he gets brought in by uh, the guy who's who's uh, trying to vet uh, at the request of congressional Democrats the information that Grassley and, and Senator Johnson have pulled together on the Bidens. They bring in Auten to take a look at that. And he writes an analysis from which everybody then concludes, oh, it's Russian disinformation. So it's not just that we have a situation where you have these two completely these two different uh, situations where one's Republican and one's Democrat and the quality of justice is completely the opposite. You have some of the same players who are involved in both. Right. It's, uh, it, you know, it's, it's unbelievable. And it, it goes to this point that and I think you would say this, too, there's a lot of really good men and women at the DOJ and the FBI that, that are they're mission driven. They're there to do the work that they, they're justice minded. They're they, they want to see equal justice under the law. But it seems like at these at these higher levels, the top levels, Democrats or liberals have done a very good job of promoting ideologues who will use the law for political purposes in a, to, to, to the very point you just made the same players in whether it's Trump or Biden keep coming back into or Hillary Clinton, they keep coming back into play, exerting their influence over the outcomes of um, of these investigations. Yeah. You know, I think when the history of this is written um, and I tried to write a little of the history, I wrote a book called Ball of Collusion back in 2019. Mm -hmm. We and we know a lot more than we knew then. But even then it was, you know, the handwriting was on the wall. But I think I decided that the biggest problem here is the way federal law enforcement and even national security investigations are set up, you want the investigations done in the field offices, not in Washington. Yes. Because, you know, that gives them a, a kind of a, a insulation from the crazy politics of Washington. And I think what went wrong in the Russiagate investigation and in the Clinton emails investigation, and maybe we'll learn this about the Hunter investigation, which I shouldn't call the Hunter investigation, right, Rachel? I yeah, should call it's, the it's, Biden the, investigation. it's the big guy investigation. <laughs> right, the big guy. But, but, the, but the big thing that went wrong is headquarters decided to get operational and took over the investigation. Mm -hmm. And what you need headquarters in, in federal law enforcement is to be headquarters. You need them to be the, you know, every investigator always gets very invested in his investigations and thinks they're very important. And you need that headquarters presence, like the adult supervision there to say, no, we don't bring uncorroborated information to the FISA court. You know, even if you think that Trump's a bad guy, you have to, you know, do our usual steps. So you need headquarters there to play that role. And the problem is when headquarters takes over an investigation, there's no one there to tell them no. Right. And they have exactly the same motivation as any investigator to get very invested in what they're doing. Um, 
and you need somebody to tell you no. And when so, it turns yeah. out they broke good, every rule. That's a great point. You know, because I, I've seen this firsthand myself, it's, it becomes very emotional. You get emotionally tied to these investigations, and sometimes you can't you 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 can't see clearly because you're so deep in, yep. and you need someone who's not emotional, like to your point, Andy, at headquarters to go listen. No, 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 no. This we're, we're not going there, or we have to corroborate, or you you have to do this. You know, these tasks before we go to the next step. But you're right. If if it's happening at headquarters, there's there's no adult supervision to say you know we're 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 out of line here. But headquarters we, we have- headquarters is not like getting emotionally involved in trying to get to the truth. I mean, headquarters is the Democrat Party. I mean, this is <laughs> just this crazy stuff. I mean, listen, I'm worried. You know, you talked about headquarters taking over investigations. That's exactly what happened with the FBI raided um, these homes of the of these pro life activists. And here's my concern, Andrew is that we're not we're not I guess I don't feel any confidence that anything's going to change I don't feel like anyone's ever held accountable and so we're losing our faith in probably one of the most important institutions that we have which is federal law enforcement which is supposed to be used to protect uh, protect us from you know national security threats like Joe Biden or um, terrorists and it's they're being used to go after you know American citizens who have wrong think or you know pro-life activists I'm I guess I love what you said because you actually give it an answer which is these things need to stay in these local offices but um, what's the bigger solution because at this point I think if you if you were to pull any conservative at this point they would say the FBI has to go you know the DOJ is totally corrupt I mean like what do we do yeah Rachel when I go around the country what people are most concerned about is the two tiers of justice that that, yes um, you know depending on what your political affiliation is that's the quality of justice you get so you know I've spent a lot of time thinking about this Um, I think with the FBI in particular, you need to take the national security mission away. I would take the foreign counterintelligence mission away from them because Mm -hmm. being an intelligence agency is a different discipline from being a police organization. Mm -hmm. And I think the 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 secrecy and the classified nature of the intelligence investigation has undermined the FBI as a as a police institution. So I would just I, I I regret to say that because I used to think it was a good idea to have both missions under one roof, but it, it just it hasn't worked out that way. And then I think the other the other thing very simply is when people break the rules, they have to be held accountable. Heads got a role, which doesn't happen often enough. It's hard to prosecute law enforcement people because if you put in the minds of your police services, I mean, we see this with the defund the police and the and all the stuff that we see on our city streets where crime is surging. If you put it in the mind of the police that they're going to be prosecuted for judgment calls they make, then you're not going to get good policing. So, yes, they're not going to be prosecuted most of the time. But when they abuse the rules, you have to fire them and you have to have like transparent discipline. And the other thing that has to happen is you need searching oversight from Congress. Congress does too much of delegating all of its authority and then going on cable TV to complain about how bad <laughs> everything is. That's, that, that's really not the gig. But you've got they have to do searching oversight of these organizations. And here, most important, if you want to talk a language that they understand, you have to slash their budget. 
Yes. If you if you complain about how bad they are and then you just say, well, you know, cost of living's gone up. So this year we're going to give you 32 billion instead of just 30 billion. That's not you're not going to get better behavior that way. Wait right there. We'll have more of this conversation next. Did you know that every major diaper company either financially or vocally supports abortion? If that appalls you and you're looking to support a baby brand that aligns with your pro-life, pro-family views, then every life is your solution. Every Life firmly believes that regardless of where someone is from, what they look like, or whether they were planned or unplanned, every baby is a miracle from God worthy of love, protection, and celebration. Every Life offers high-performing, supremely soft, premium diapers and wipes delivered right to your doorstep. Their diapers are crafted without fragrances, dyes, lotions, latex, parabens, or phthalates. And you can feel good knowing that every purchase with Every Life contributes to changing lives through their support of pro-life organizations and pregnancy resource centers. Every Life is not just changing diapers, they're changing lives. Visit everylife.com to learn more. That's everylife.com. And don't forget to use promo code Duffy10 for an exclusive 10% discount on your first order today. You know, Andy, you, you talk about accountability and I couldn't agree more. And I think it, when, when I look at what's happened over the last couple of years and accountability is only going to come when you have bad people or maybe even lawbreakers only fired because Durham, as we mentioned uh, a couple of times, has prosecuted uh, a total of three cases. Uh, Klein Smith was the lawyer who, who changed the meaning of an email before it went mm-hmm. to the FISA court. He pled guilty. He got probation. But the other two trials that actually uh, went to trial um, was the most recent one this week where uh, uh, Zyshenko mm-hmm. was right. was found not guilty. And then um, Michael Sussman was also found not guilty. They had jury pools, one of Northern Virginia, one of Washington, D.C. So mm. I mean, this is the this is the heart of the Russia collusion scandal on the American people. I mean, we were we, we were fed this story leaks from the FBI. The main players of this story are or a couple of them are prosecuted and nothing happens. They're found not guilty. And I think a lot of people look at that and they lose heart. Yeah. That yeah. The justice system doesn't, it doesn't feel like uh, it works. And again, if, if, if I can, if I can prosecute a Democrat in Washington, DC, they're going to get off. If I can prosecute Donald Trump for jaywalking in Washington, DC, they're going to convict him because it's Donald Trump. And it, again, something's happening that's breaking in our system that I think is really hard to repair when you have the, the, the outcomes of these investigations and the disparity, and also in these trials and prosecutions. And, and, and again, I, I want everyone to have faith in law enforcement. I love law enforcement. I love prosecutors who do their job well. But when you get this rot, this cancer in these institutions, um, I think the whole country is worse off for it. Yeah, I, I, I not only think that's right, Sean, I think that um, you know, it's a real calculated risk for Durham to bring the Sussman and Danchenko cases, because they weren't extremely strong cases. But even more importantly to me, they pale in comparison in importance to what his main mission was, which was to get to the bottom of the origins of the Trump-Russia investigation and the collaboration between the Clinton campaign and the government's uh, intelligence and law enforcement apparatus. That was really the main part of the mission. And what I'm afraid of is when Durham does his final report in the next few weeks, hopefully by the end of this year, um, even if it's very strong and even if his, uh, you know, if his evidence about what the FBI did wrong and what other 
aspects of the government did wrong and what the collaboration was with the Clinton campaign, the the left is going to use these two acquittals to dismiss mm -hmm. his work. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, yes. And he had to know that that was a possibility. And I, I just think why did he do that? Why did he take that risk and not go right for know. the right? Go right for the big thing. Well, you know, the big thing, Rachel, and this is a problem, I think, that we, we see again and again, which is that not everything uh, that's in the nature of abuse of power is criminal. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it has to be addressed by political means. And when I when I say political means in this in this uh, in this sense, I don't mean partisan politics. I mean, like the, the division of labor under the Constitution. Some things have to be handled by Congress, which has the political authority to oversee the executive branch and bring to bear real consequences where they abuse their power. And some of it has to be done, obviously, by the higher ups in the in the uh, executive branch itself, which that seems to broke it down, as, as Sean just pointed out. No one ever gets held accountable yeah. for uh, for anything. Right. Um, but I, I just think, you know, it, it was if Durham thought that he was going to bring Michael Sussman, a DNC lawyer into court in Washington, D.C., where. You know, I mean, all you have to do is say the word Trump and they go uh, insane. And, you know, Durham is perceived in that context as being like the pro-Trump guy. He's not really the pro-Trump guy, but he's he's holding to account the people who conducted that investigation. So obviously he's going to be seen as like under the guise of of Trump. Right. What chance did he really have to win that case? So I, I just think it was a real calculated risk for him to bring these cases. I thought they were kind of weak cases. I was surprised that he brought them. Um, I guess he felt that the people really did lie, so they, they should be prosecuted. But I, I just think in the greater scheme of things, if you're a juror sitting there and you look at what they were accused of lying about, which was basically their sources, uh, you know, in their discussions with the FBI, and then you compare it to what the FBI did, which is basically you know, pulling off a fraud on the court. If you're a juror sitting there, even if you don't have a, a political bias one way or the other, you're sort of scratching your head and saying, you know, it looks to me like the real bad guys are the guys who are with the government, not the guys who are being questioned by the government. Mm -hmm. So I just think it's a very tough case. Yeah. Yeah. It's, but it, also the line to the FBI, you know, uh, uh, General Flynn was accused of lying to the FBI when he was, and even, even the first investigators were like, he was telling us the truth. He's charged and tried and convicted in D.C. And here, you know, a much more egregious case, uh, the the verdict um, comes back very differently. I wonder, you know, Andy, I, I would I would be embarrassed if I worked at the FBI, if I was in leadership of the FBI or the DOJ, that that this information comes out in these trials. And maybe this was a way for Durham to start to 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 bring out what he knows about the whole Russia collusion hoax. Um but I would be embarrassed if I worked there. If I was in leadership and I was caught doing these things, um, I would be shamed. And maybe there's a death of shame right now in the FBI, in the in the in the DOJ. And maybe instead of changing their ways, now what's happened is there's they're just emboldened to go. We can do whatever we want. We'll never be held accountable. We're above the law. Yeah. We don't have to follow the law. Um, we're uh, we can go rogue now, and no one is ever going to stop us. And that I mean, so we might look back on this conversation 
three years from now and think, wow, those were the good old days. Those were the good old days when were constrained. What is your hope? What is your hope, Andy? What is your hope? Like consider what Sean just said and like looking forward at, I mean, you gave, you know, four great ideas of what could happen. Do you think that those reforms would happen? Do you think Joe Biden will ever be held accountable? Do you think that the Russia hoax will ever, you know, come fully come to light and be accepted as what I think is the greatest political scandal in American history? Um, what is your what is your what, what, look into the future for us um, in these two institutions and these cases? Yeah. Rachel, I, let me look into the into the past just briefly. And I, just because I think if you were Chris Ray, uh, the director of the FBI, what what he would say is that all of the people who were the major decision makers in connection with Russiagate are no longer with the FBI, that they've already you know, either been fired or otherwise removed or encouraged to spend more time with their families or, or hired what, by know, MSNBC. <laughs> yeah, right, right. But, I, you know, I, I just think that that doesn't feel um, and I don't like to talk about feelings. I'm not like a feelings kind of guy, but I mean, just doesn't feel like. <laughs> oh, um, I just, you're, you're a warm teddy bear, Andy. You are like a warm <laughs> yeah, it's not, You don't feel bear. satisfied. It's just not satisfactory. It's not. And, uh, you know, even if they don't all get prosecuted, which, you know, it may not be that you can make a criminal case on them. A, a lot rides on this report, which is why I'm uh, I'm not, you know, thrilled that uh, that he took the kind of chances he took with these other prosecutions, because I just think he's giving his uh, detractors a lot of fodder to to discredit his report. But to, to go to your question, Rachel, about meaningful reform, if you don't get um, at least one chamber of Congress back where Republicans have uh, subpoena authority uh, and then conduct really searching investigations of of the FBI, not just Russiagate, because maybe that's too fraught with politics and it's been investigated, uh, you know, up, down and sideways by now, particularly by the inspector general of the Justice Department. But, you know, Congress really has to has to not only, you know, bring these guys in and investigate the bureau from top to bottom, including whether it's appropriate to have both the domestic security mission and the law enforcement mission in one agency. You know, Mm -hmm. the Brits don't the Brits don't do it that way. For example, the Brits have uh, MI5, which is a non-police agency, does their national security mission and Scotland Yard does police work, you know, Mm -hmm. and maybe maybe that's what we need to do. But I, I just you know, I come back again to this has to be done in a serious way. It can't be about um, recompense for, uh, you know, you know, they they uh, gored our ox. So we're now going to gore their ox. We have to look at the FBI. It's very important to the country that we have a functioning FBI that people can trust. And the only way that you're going to get that is if people become convinced again that adults are in charge that people are being held accountable for breaking the rules, that their budget is being slashed if they're an abusive agency. You you know, if you're, for example, if the Justice Department is misusing its civil rights authority, instead of looking for people whose civil rights have been violated, they decide that here's here's a great way to remake America's police in Barack Obama's image. You know, if that's what they think the civil rights authority is for, take their budget away. Then they can't do it anymore. Yeah. But. You know, unless you're going to put real teeth into reform, 
then you're quite right that we're going to be back here, you know, however many months or years it is from now and, and just, you know, pulling our hair out. I don't have much left to, to pull out. I'll pull, I'll pull Sean's hair out. But, 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 you know, nothing nothing changes unless you get serious about reform. So, Andy, I want, I want to drill into you said you can't you gored my ox, so I'm going to gore your ox analogy. So here's here's a, some slight pushback, and I'm a, tell me tell me why I'm wrong on this. So I, I spent ten years in Congress, and you see the political divide. It's real. All of us see this on cable television every single day. What I find troubling is that if if Republicans say the FBI and the DOJ need to be reformed, Democrats are going to be like, listen, this is an agency and a tool that's very beneficial to us. We don't want to see them reformed. The only way you get bipartisanship is when. Both parties see the danger of the FBI and the DOJ. It's a risk to everybody in America, not just one party. And, and, and until Democrats feel that, they won't say it's time for us to change. Just like you, 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 just to go back to Nancy Pelosi changed rules in Congress. And she said, you know what? I now, for the first time in the history of the Congress, I, as the Democrat leader, am going to pick what Republicans can serve on what committees. Kevin McCarthy, the Republican leader, doesn't have that choice. Me, the speaker, Democrat, I have that decision making um, ability. That's never happened before. Well, now, Kevin McCarthy, the good government stewardship would mean Kevin McCarthy would go, you know what? Congress shouldn't run like that. I'm not going to do to Nancy Pelosi what she did to Republicans in her tenure. The problem is, if Kevin McCarthy does that, um, the next time the next Democrat-controlled Congress comes into power, they're going to go right back to what Nancy Pelosi did. They'll take Republicans off committees. And so I think that Democrats have to feel what leadership looks like under the rules that they set for Republicans. That's the only way I think things change. And then both parties have to come together and go, OK, listen, hold on. This this doesn't work well for any of us. We have to change course and go back to the way it was before the Nancy Pelosi pre-Donald Trump presidency and all you know set certain rules where we can live by and work by i think the same thing is true for the fbi and the doj democrats have to see that it's a risk to them as well when justice isn't fair only for republicans they don't give a damn but when it's unfair for all americans then they go oh hey listen maybe we should join uh, join the republican party we, we should all work on legislation or on funding that gets this rogue you know organization you know back in line am i am i wrong on that my, you know, look, my, I, my part of the problem is this the philosophy also warped no i look i don't believe in um i don't believe in abusing i don't believe in anybody abusing government power but i also don't believe in unilateral disarmament yeah and i think you know nancy pelosi is going to have to the democrats you know for all their talk about trump being the great norm breaker the nancy pelosi and the january 6th committee broke about every norm in the book and i think they're going to have to be made to live under that to understand uh that it's not the way that you want to do business but sean what you just described is i i couldn't help but think of this while you were saying it but it's really what you just described is the history of the special of the independent counsel statute which you know justice scalia wrote a, a great opinion in the early 1980s in a case called morrison versus forster uh about um why the independent counsel statute was such a constitutional anomaly uh and nobody cared uh it was a minority it was a dissenting opinion uh but more importantly politically only republicans had been bitten by the independent counsel statute 
to that point. So they they thought it was peachy. And then all of a sudden the Clinton Lewinsky scandal comes and Ken Starr comes and they they actually mm-hmm. start to see that the independent counsel statute is a two way street. So what happens when 19, 1998 rolls around? I think it was 98, maybe 99 when the statute was up to be, you know, it was going to lapse if they didn't renew it. They didn't renew it because then Democrats had been bit by it. Bit so by it. Yeah. I, I don't you know, you know, the political world a lot better than I do. And I think there's a lot to be said for the idea that if you're not made to feel the rules that you want to impose on everyone else, then there's never any. That is the truth. That is absolutely the truth. And and just if I can clarify, I I, I agree with you, Andy. I'm not saying Republicans should break the law, break the law or abuse government power. I'm not. And you made a good point on that. I'm not saying they do that. But no, I I, and I wasn't suggesting otherwise. I, I, you said it. I'm like, I better clarify that I agree with him on that. <laughs> that wasn't well, I'll tell, I, I I'll tell you this, Andy, and I know I, I, I know I know you have to go. I'll just say this. And I hate ending on this negative note, but I do want to take this is a true story. My son wanted to be a law enforcement officer. He wanted to be a policeman for Halloween. And I went through the Amazon, um, you know, all the costumes online for police Sick. officers. And I didn't like all of them. And the coolest looking one was the FBI one. And I looked at it and I said, because I've been so angry about what they've done with the pro uh, with with this and also with the with the pro lifers, and I just said, I don't want him to be an FBI agent this year. And that actually kind of felt like that made me really sad that I'm not proud of the FBI, uh, you know, and I don't want my son to be an FBI agent. So I bought For him a, I bought him a police officer outfit, and. Yeah, but- but do you know what I'm saying? Like that we are left with these feelings. That's why I think these reforms you talk about are so important, because I want to have faith in it again. I want to feel proud about my FBI again. Yeah. But look at it this way. If you would let him go like that, then maybe Merrick Garland would have arrested him for impersonating <laughs> an officer. So. <laughs> they would have maybe, arrested maybe. me for being a domestic terrorist as a parent and him for maybe. impersonating. And right. yeah, <laughs> maybe that's maybe that's our silver lining. Right? Oh, Andy, Andy so McCarthy. you are the best. Yeah. No one knows more. I hope you have a follow up. To ball of collusion, as you said, there's been so many, so much more that's come out since you laid it out so beautifully in that book, and people still should get ball of collusion because there's so much in there. But you're right, we need a follow up. Thanks for joining us. I really appreciate it. Thank you it. so much. I enjoyed it. It was great. Andy McCarthy, you are the best. Thank you. Great, great legal mind and a fair legal mind. Thanks for Thank joining you. us at the kitchen table. Thank All right. You. Take care. Bye bye. We'll be back with much more after this. Since the 1970s, working-class Americans and U.S. investors who saved wealth in dollars have seen the dollar lose over 80% of its purchasing power. In contrast, investors who diversified their cash into gold saw gold appreciate over 5,000%. For Americans who invested $50,000 in gold when America left the gold standard in the 70s, their gold is worth more than $2.5 million today. While gold carries no guarantees and past performance does not equal future results, investors who do their own research will see that gold's performance over this time span is what gold has consistently done in the face of eroding paper currencies. For over 15 years, St. Joseph Partners has built its business with a singular focus on helping investors diversify their wealth and protect their families in physical gold and silver you hold in your hand. Don't let your hard-earned savings go unhedged. Call St. Joseph Partners or go to our joint website, kitchengold.net, not .com. That is kitchengold.net and protect your wealth.
listen, Rachel, I, I think he is, he is one of the smartest, clear-minded um, uh, former prosecutors who speaks on this issue because he, he's been there. He's thought a lot about it. He knows the backstory um, of the Russia, the whole Russia collusion hoax. Um, and to have him lay it out and talk about the new developments, I think is uh, I'm grateful that he came on the show. Yeah, but a little bit disheartening just in that, like, I mean, I, I love that he laid out what has to happen because I, and I, and I, I was taking notes as he was saying it because, you know, all of those things, you know, that, you know, heads have to roll, you know, taking foreign intelligence away from the FBI, kind of separating it the way the Brits to have it separated um, more congressional oversight. You and I talked about that a lot, but he came back to something you and I've been talking about. You know, for months now, um, we, and we talked about it with Cash Patel, which is you have to use the power of the purse. You have to slash their budgets if they don't agree to do, um, you know, to, to, to these reforms. And then also what he said about, you know, these things have to be have to happen at the local level and we can't let headquarters and all the D.C. politics take over. So I think he gave great insight into what needs to happen. The question is, will it ever happen? And more importantly, Will Joe Biden be ever be held accountable? Because I think it's very clear he is the big guy. He is compromised and he is a national security threat. And, you know, just to, just to make uh, I'm going to give you some foreshadowing. If Republicans say, listen, because because here's here's where you slash their budgets. If they don't comply with um, congressional oversight, if they don't you know, provide the documents they request in regard to subpoenas, they don't present witnesses to testify before Congress, then you don't slash their whole budget. But you start to take pieces of their budget out. And what's going to happen is if Republicans do that, the media, every single one of them are going to say, Republicans want to defund the FBI. Who cares? Really I'm so sick of worrying about no, what no, they no, say. No, no. no it's because they, they drive a lot of the public perception and narrative. And so it's really important for Republicans then to be very clear what they're doing. Make sure that that that, that the FBI and yeah, the DOJ knows true. that if you don't comply, this, this is, gonna is what we're going to do. And then and, do it. You know, this could lead to a government shutdown. Joe Biden. So when you budget that, that start, the budget starts in the House, but it goes to the Senate and also, also the appropriation bills as well. Um, I'm sorry, the, the appropriations bills. So the, the, the tools that you fund the government with House, Senate, president. Well, the, if, if Joe Biden doesn't like that Republicans in the House want to cut the budget of the FBI or the DOJ, he cannot sign the budget. You can have a government shutdown and then he can say, I'm doing this because you want to defund the FBI. Right. And those standoffs become very painful politically for everybody. And that's why it's really important. The clarity that Republicans have yeah. to have with every messaging that thing. Doing yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I, I, I agree with that. But I guess, um, again, <laughs> I, I wanted I wanted Andy to get make me feel more confident. Um, but I, I, I kind of if I'm honest, came away feeling like I, I don't know if the, these changes will happen. And I guess we'll see. I mean, you know, the elections in just a few weeks and, um, you know, your 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 friend, Kevin McCarthy, will probably be leading the House. And I and I believe that there will be a Republican majority in the Senate as well. And we'll see if these people that we've elected um, have the cojones to do the right thing and to take on these mm -hmm. institutions because i think you know the democrats talk so much sean about you know democracy and all that. i mean democracy is on the line and they're the ones as andy said who have been you know violating the norms of democracy yeah and i think i i, I know kevin mccarthy well a friend of mine i think that kevin is um hell-bent on doing the right things here to bring transparency to government 
And by the way, if he doesn't or doesn't have a Congress that's willing to go with him, you are going to hear from the American people, the, the Republican voters, the independent voters that have come and uh, given the majority to a Republican Congress, House and maybe Senate. If they don't do it, there's going to be a lot of angry people out there and they'll probably lose power. So I think I think they're going to do it. Um, you know, I think they're going to be aggressive and push to make sure that we have transparency, that we know how our government is operating and how they've used the tools and the power, r- real power that we've given them. Are they using it for, um, you know, b- blind justice or is this, you know, political tools used for the political advancement of Democrat policies and Democrat politicians? I think we need to see that. And I think w- when we get the transparency, it's going to be quite clear that this th- these agencies have become a wing of the Democrat Party. And just also foreshadowing, Rachel, the conversation is going to heat up with these 87,000 new IRS agents. Mm. I guarantee you they're going to target Republicans. This is a way very silently under the radar to use the tax code to target Republicans. But didn't Kevin McCarthy say, Sean, that he can they can defund this through the House, through the Congress? This is yes. So the so the money um, in the bill that funded the 87,000, that's that funding bill has already passed. That money, though maybe not spent yet, has already been appropriated. It's gone out the door. So you got to then reclaim the money. That'll be challenging, right? Um, you have to undo part of, you know, the, the um, what, what, I forget what bill they did this in. Was this the, I forget what, what, what massive bill that passed over the last year and a half they put at the 87th. Yeah, I remember that was the the so-called inflation reduction. Yeah, Yeah. they're going to reduce the they're going to reduce the the they're going to reduce inflation by getting more tax dollars out of Republicans. Or, or what if 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 you can't take the money away, what you do is you say, okay, here's the deal: we're not we're not we're not going to fund your budget this year. You have to use the money from that bill to fund the IRS. There's there's a number of different tactics and tools they can use. Well, Um, he he promised, Sean. I mean, he I think he came on. Fox and Friends and said, we're we're going to uh, we're, we're, we're not going to stand for this and we're going to find a way to get rid of these agents. A, so we're going to hold them it's accountable. A lot, it's a lot. Hard. Well, I listen. I love Kevin. Kevin also said we're going to secure the border. It's hard. <laughs> I think Republicans in the Congress are going to have a hard time securing the border because that they, they, they fund those projects. But the executive is the one who actually implements the will of the, the, the Congress. And so it's, it's, it's hard. But I think they can do it. You're right. So. Um, I think this is a fascinating conversation, again, to your point, Rachel, that makes democracy function and function function fairly. And there's uh, there's a lot of work that has to be done to make sure we get back to some smart balance um, in our government. Just the other point is I always come back to our families. Our kids are not being taught civics in school. They So if you if you don't know civics, if you don't know how the government is supposed to work, when Democrats or the IRS or the FBI do things wrong, you don't know because you've never been taught how it's supposed to work. And that's why as parents, we should, and if we don't know ourselves, take your, get, get a civics lesson yourself. Mm-hmm. Teach your kids, talk to your kids. School of Rock, Sean. Really School of Rock. Matters. Remember, we grew up on School, School of Rock. Rock. I'm just a bill. I'm just a bill. I mean, listen, I still remember how it worked um, because of that. So, I mean, those things, those things matter. By the way, there's now not School of Rock. There's a version of School of Rock, but it's been produced by the Obamas and it's Obama. on Netflix and it's being used in schools. Um, we should actually do a podcast on that because that's kind of scary too because it's all about that activism. Um, but anyway, great conversation. Um, uh, last thought 
they're the, the well, Hunter Biden is the gift that keeps giving. So here we're still talking about Hunter Biden because his stuff is still coming out. And maybe at some point it will um, we'll see some justice um, for for America and, and the Biden family and all the corruption and, and, that they've been. A part and my of. last thought is I don't care about Hunter Biden being a crack addict or I don't a porn either. star. Well, I, I, I find it Hunter fascinating, Biden. but <laughs> I don't care about Hunter Biden only because, you know, it relates to Joe Biden yes. and is Joe Biden compromised and did Joe Biden, Joe Biden sell the vice presidency to foreign entities to profit his family? Yeah. That's what concerns me. Pushing electric cars so that we buy cobalt, which yes. they are invested in. I mean, it's disgusting stuff. It is, anyway, the whole thing is disgusting. Well, listen, I want to thank you all for joining us at the kitchen table. If you like our podcast. Rate, review, subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We would appreciate that. Uh, Rachel and I love talking to you guys a couple times a week and having, I guess, like Andy McCarthy to sit down and have a more in-depth conversation on real issues that I think matter to American democracy and American justice. All right. Bye, everybody. Catch you later this week. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.